When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to another episode of Showtime. I'm your host, Jason Madison. As always, joined by my co-hosts, Bethany Anderson and Anthony Mays. What's up, guys? What's good? What's good? We got episode three, The Best Is Yet To Come, an ode to the Frank Sinatra song. I'm assuming, which is actually produced by Quincy Jones. Recently. Hey, shout out. <laughs> shout out, Yes. Um, I fell in love with that song, actually, after I watched the Quincy documentary. I didn't really know it like that uh, before then, and I listened to it about a thousand times afterwards. So. Don't you love documentaries when you get to learn something about people? I mean, I've, I recently like tweeted, like, I think I like documentaries more than I like films, like <laughs> fictional films. <laughs> I like to take all of my information from heavily subjective dramatizations, and I treat that as fact. That's how I do my media consumption. Y'all, this is my Jerry West, folks. This is my Pat Riley. Exactly. Uh, Well, let's get into it. We started the show off with Jerry versus Jerry going head to head. Jerry squared. Yeah, we've got to pick up where we left off. Like, I, I was really hoping that we got a chance to pick up and see, you know, the immediate reaction of Dr. Buss. Because he, once he handed in his resignation, the look on his face was like, you've got to be shitting me. <laughs> we haven't gotten this angle on, on Dr. Buss, right? He's been mostly very nice and charming and yeah. flash and panache. And here he, here he is. Yelling at Jerry West. Thanks for the goddamn morale boost, you fucking cocksucker. <laughs> yeah, John C. Riley went full John C. Riley in that moment. He reminded me of uh, Dewey Cox or some of his other characters who like to get riled up. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed every moment. That was a fun scene between the two of them. And then Jason Clark is kind of like sulking in the chair, telling them that, you know, hey, if you. You feel like you gotta sue me, man. That's cool. Like, <laughs> He's I, like get I understand. It. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was definitely going glutton for punishment there. Like, yeah, yeah sue me, please. I deserve <laughs> it. And Dr. Buss breaking the fourth walls. Like, he's holding out on me. Yeah. He has another offer. I loved it. I loved it. It was just so intense. That's how I like to start, you know, yeah. start the show. Good cold open for sure. Yeah. yeah. But the show started with a lot of fire, and I feel like it kind of went down to a simmer after that. Um, oh, but, but Jason, they told us the best is yet to come. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we go from that to Magic leaving home. Magic is moving to L.A. Finally. Uh, we start to get 
more nods to Julius Irvin, which I wonder if he'll appear in the show because, uh, right. you know, he says, what's up, Doc, to his poster of Julius Irving on his wall as he leaves. Yeah, and also I uh, had to rewind it to see if it was an actual picture of the Julius mm. Irving or was it mm. an actor or, you know what I mean, or a model, whatever. Yeah, because right. we got MJ in the <laughs> premiere, right? And now right. This would, this would be interesting to see what they do with that. I, I My guess, Jay, is that'd be a season two situation. Right. That's what I would right. think. Yeah. So he's ready to leave, leaving the keys to the to the SL with Pops. And um, we go straight from that to uh, Shaggy Pat Riley Ooh. with this with his Shag van. Patrick James Riley. <laughs> okay, yeah. he's walking in looking like 1972. The hair, the suit. I'm like, this what so is going on? So goddamn good. This is great, man. And then he can't get in. He can't get can't into get the in. form. Couldn't get into the form. He's got the ring on the finger. He's a yeah. champ. No former players. None. Uh, okay. And and we get our first tinge of of racial situations when he tells the security guard, "Come on, brother man," you brother know. Man. And uh, the security guards having none of it, and so basically trying to show like Pat being cool his cool black side, you know, he's the cool white guy. And um, yeah, it doesn't work work for him right there. So now we have Pat Riley here. How are you guys feeling? When he hit the screen, how did you guys feel? Were you Fantastic. like rubbing your hands together? Like, finally, here we go, let's go. Birdman, I, I loved it. Adrian Brody, I love it. I'm all in. I think they did a, a pretty great job here of you know, we'll get to it, but I just love, I love the overlap uh, of Jerry West and Pat Riley crossing paths in this episode. And they did a lot to connect those two guys, right? Obviously they played together and they're white NBA players from not so great childhoods with daddy issues. And, and there's that great moment when Pat tells Jerry West, like retirement sucks, dude, <laughs> just going to be honest with you. You think you're going to be out there playing golf all day, but then you're going to realize you've turned into your father and you're going to be missing that motivation, that, that drive to keep going. And the funniest thing about it is Pat Riley is only 34 years old. Yeah. And looks every bit of 70. He's the oldest 34 year old man in the history of the world. <laughs> I mean, guys in their thirties back in the day used to look real old, you know? <laughs> I don't know what. Yeah. Was, yeah. Of course. I don't we, know what we, was going on back then, but the the 30-something guys were definitely looking like the 50-something guys nowadays. B, know? it's all that whiskey and cigarettes, you know? <laughs> That's it right. Just, it adds mileage to your face. But <laughs> Pat Riley, he's uh, he, his, his life is over at 34. He's aimless. He can't even get into the forum. But I, I'm, I'm so in. I'm so, take as long as you want to, to turn him into the Pat Riley we all know and love. Let's let's enjoy the ride while we can. And it's going to take a while. I actually um, forgot how long it took Pat Riley to become the head coach of the Lakers. I remember him sitting on the sidelines and he was an assistant coach and it actually brought another question into my head, which, you know, we were talking about this season ending at the championship. Right. Well, Pat Riley won't be there or <laughs> I mean, he won't be the head coach. And the right. bigger question to me is now who is actually going to play Paul Westhead 
who was the coach of the Lakers when they won the title that year. And that character hasn't been introduced or even really thought of yet. But um, Yeah, that's got to be next episode. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, this episode had a lot of other interesting historical aspects to deal with. We move to Tark the Shark, Jerry Tarkanian, mm. our third Jerry. Uh, <laughs> Thank right. God he's got a catchy nickname built in, so it's not yeah. Jerry, Jerry, and Jerry hanging out. Jerry Buss is looking through his coaching op- options. Uh, Bobby Knight, of course, would not leave Indiana, but that would be a hilarious <laughs> world to live in if Bobby Knight was the coach of the Lakers. So, yeah, so he's after Jerry Tarkanian, who's the coach of the UNLV running Rebels at the time, a big college team. Uh, they had Larry Johnson, a bunch of you know people who would go on to be NBA stars. Did Jerry Buss fuck Charo? Seems like he implied that. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, that yeah, is, yeah. <laughs> that was alluded to heavily. Yeah. But, you know, gentlemen don't kiss and tell, Jason. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, we, <laughs> then we got the intro to uh, Chick Hearn, who, was, who I asked about, who, you know, how are they going to depict Chick? And, boy, <laughs> did they give us a character. He was coming out with one-liners out of the gate. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, he said that was that was him at the beginning when he asked uh, Jeannie Buss, like, "Does your dad own a firearm or something like that?" <laughs> mm, <laughs> when he yeah. was like going off yeah. on Jerry West oh, in the right. office, like, "What's right. up with this guy?" So yeah. So when Jerry Buss comes in to talk coaches with the coaching staff, and I guess Chick's there just hanging out. I don't know. <laughs> uh, he he brings up Jerry Tarkanian and. Uh, Chick Hearn says the NCAA's been up his ass like Benoit balls. Mm-hmm. Which right. that is a dated reference, everybody. <laughs> that is I a mean, straight up '80s reference. Did you do some googling, Jason? Or are you scared? <laughs> no, I know what Benoit balls are, and they're pretty big. I didn't know that that's what they were being used for. <laughs> that's what she said. Right, I guess that that was anal beads before anal beads. I don't, I don't know. Um, they had yeah. to refine the technology, you know, <laughs> to get to the level we're at now. But, but yes, right. Chick, he's got a line for everything. I'm, I'm excited for more Chick Hearn. But they did a good job establishing him here as just a wise ass, who apparently, yeah, like you said, very close to the team, like mm-hmm. sitting in on. Decision-making meetings? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I always thought Chick was a little more vanilla, uh, I guess just because <laughs> that's how he has to be as a commentator. Right. But, uh, yeah, they they painted him as a character. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I didn't love it at first. It's entertaining, but, like, you know, Chick Hearn was my guy. He's, he's If you're a Laker fan, you know, Chick Hearn is probably – it's him – in Kobe and Magic, you know, uh, as far as people you love. So right. the lines he drops later in the, in the episode are a little bit more alarming. Uh, well, I guess we'll get to that in a second. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to circle back to Claire Rothman and Jeannie Buss. Their relationship is just, it's not really going anywhere. Claire is more pressed about the budget. And the money, even though, you know, Jerry tried to, you know, let her know that she has the green light, just make some cool shit, some dope shit happen. And she's just like, no, we don't have the money. We haven't broke even in years. So Evil Knievel or whoever she, uh, whoever they suggested was like, nah, 
Not happening. And, and who is that guy? I, I mean, I should have looked it up, but he's the guy who's with Magic when he's at the doctor's office in the cold open of the first episode. The guy who suggests the evil Knievel. Oh, really? Is it? Yeah. Wait a minute. Because I like him as an actor, and I don't even know his name. But I've seen him in a few things. I'm gonna try, I am don't know, Maze, if you want to look it up. Yeah, I'll uh, look it up real quick. Yeah, he's the same guy who's uh, suggesting the evil Knievel. And he's, he's, he's had not- nothing but bad ideas so far. That's all I got. I'm pretty sure it's the guy who plays. Oh, yeah. So he's playing Juan Rosen. Okay. Spell that? Juan Rosen. L O N R O S E N, who uh, worked at the forum, became Magic Johnson's agent. What? So that's why he's in uh, in the the doctor's office with him. He became his agent in 1985, mm. and okay. until then he was director of promotions from for the forum. Nice. So he knows where all the bodies are buried as well. So <laughs> clearly he gets some better ideas down the line because right now they're not good. Yeah. But yeah, I think the thing about that B is they're just they're just seeding this Claire Genie thing, and like mm. they haven't really gotten a chance to develop it yet. They're teasing the Laker girls yeah. stuff, which is coming soon. So th- I think that's when that'll kind of kick off. But yeah, basically right now Claire is the only adult in the room. She's like, we don't have money for this shit. We can't live in this fantasy land. We got to be realistic. Get me some better ideas. And so right. they're just kind of spinning the wheel on that. Yeah. I just I just want more of Claire. I love I, I love her what her storyline could be mm-hmm. and her involvement with the forum and making it to what we got a chance to see it turn into. Look, Definitely. B, this is this is winning time. All right. We got maybe the most crowded call sheet in the history of television. You're absolutely so right. The fact that we're carving out a little bit of Claire Rothman time each week, that might be all we get for a while. But you know, hopefully a little bit into the show, we get a more Claire-centric episode. She gets some stuff to do because I love Gabby Hoffman. I know you do, too. Like, we'll hold out. We'll wait for her to get her moment to shine. Yeah, okay. and I also on I'll that note, <laughs> too, you know, <laughs> thinking about it, you know, obviously I talk a lot about race and that dynamic in the show. But, you know, in sports, there's obviously the big, like, male-female dynamic. and Absolutely. You know, you know the... I can't think of the, the, the word right now, but the, the foreshadowing, I guess, of Jeannie becoming one of the only female owners in sports of the biggest right. franchise in the world, you know, it's like, that's a big part of this story as well, right? She's kind of like our uh, Luke Skywalker, if you will, you know, like, she's just kind of sitting there and wait and, and learning from, from Claire, who did a lot with the Lakers and, you know, obviously was a mentor to Jeannie and, you know, all of this stuff is setting us up for you know the real world that we live in today where she runs the show so yeah i i'm with you we get that great little shot of tark the shark talking out of the newspaper like it's a harry potter movie (laughs) and this is jerry's guy this is who he wants they ask he's got the scandal ridden past but as if you dig a little bit into jerry tarkanian's past his whole thing was that Everyone was corrupt, so he's just playing by the by the the unwritten rules of the game. And he actually successfully sued the NCAA a couple times, so he was constantly going back and forth with them. This is the guy Jerry wants. Get him on the hook. I'll reel him in. Cut to a sad Pat Riley walking on the beach in his suit and tie, just looking 
like he's in a goddamn Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> and then he plays some pickup, gets hit in the face, interrupts his wife's therapy session at the house. And she just wants him to find something to do with his days because he is fucking her shit up. Right. He's like, can you put a tile on the door while, while you're working, honey? Because I might like a come. a dorm room. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because I might come in from a, a loose pickup game on uh, Venice Beach where I got popped in the face. And I, I might need to come in and grab some walnuts or whatever the hell he was in there for. And you yep. know what? This was very relatable to me because, you know, my son's dad is a former NBA player. And once that career ends, these guys don't know what to do with themselves. They've no. been playing a sport for the majority of their lives. A lot of things have been like handed to them. They really don't have to work for anything besides like like working out and training and just getting better. But when they're home, it's like, yo, please get the fuck out of my face. Go find something else to do. Like you kind of like messing up the routine that you know we've established <laughs> while you were an active athlete killing the vibe killing the vibe <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh and so we get pat in the garage right which is kind of drinking, his... drinking core's original <laughs> yeah those this is not natty great. light all right it's, <laughs> yeah. it's authentic core's original the banquet that, beer that can wow yeah yeah incredible i i don't know how they sourced that or what they did to get those <laughs> but kudos to the uh, production crew on that but we see a small flash of a article that Pat has on his wall. Kentucky Captain Riley wins as sportsman an upset loss to all Negro Texas Western. Mm -hmm. um, little Easter a, egg for us. Yeah. And so I really love that. So, yeah, this basically alludes to the 1966 uh, NCAA championship where Pat Riley played for the University of Kentucky. Uh, which was an all-white, or starting five at least, I believe it was an all-white team, playing against uh, Texas Western, who was the first all-black starting five in college basketball history. And the University of Kentucky were upset. Uh, they were the number one seed, and they lost to this all-black team for the first time in history. In addition to that, Riley's coach, Adolph Rupp, was a known racist. Um, yep. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, the all-white Kentucky team coached by a man named Adolph. Right. So, that's yeah. interesting. And uh, so Riley's uh, sportsman moment was basically after the game, Rupp refused to shake the hands of the coach or any of the players, and Riley went into their locker room and shook their hands and I guess gave them some sort of uh, congratulatory speech. And, um, you know, that kind of began the legend of Pat Riley and, you know, who he is as a man, his character. And, yeah, and it's just a good uh, historical basketball and racial moment to uh, to reference. So, yeah. Thank you for that lesson. I, I <laughs> needed to hear that refresher. Yeah. And if you want to see more of that, you can watch the 2006 movie Glory Road. Mm -hmm. Details the entire history of that game and the the team, the Texas Western team that made it there. So she tells him, clear out the Ivy, get your shit together, do something with your days, all right? I'm getting tired of this shit. I'm trying to work. I'm a professional woman with a therapy business. And I, I love the little snippet of the, the woman crying. She's like, I did everything Cosmo said. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fucking yeah. Cosmo. Cosmo used relationships. to be the shit. It used to be the Bible. So Mama Buzz, Sally Field, she tells mm -hmm. Jerry, 
There's a balloon loan from Great Western Bank over three million or three million in cash due in two months. What the hell? What the fuck, Mr. Cook? Like, how the hell are you sneaking that in the business deal? Jerry was just too too eager to get it done. They try to keep it secret from Jeannie, but she overhears. Yeah, she heard that. Oh, no. (laughs) I guess that's why it's called the Great Western Forum, or it was called the Great Western Forum. Which I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, which I didn't know. Um, I didn't know because by the time I was a young tyke, uh, Great Western Bank was not very popular. I, you know, like most things in the 70s and the 80s, by the time the 90s came, they had shuffled out of cycle so you know i i always talk about like fedco or like bullocks or the broadway or like even sears now like all these like department stores and other things that like went away in the early 90s like robinson's may like all this stuff it obviously happened before i came as well and that's you know when i thought the great western forum was like oh because we're on the west coast like i had no idea it was like the staples center or any other you know large stadium so yeah it's that crypto. was crypto.com cool. arena jason <laughs> yeah. all right sorry sorry 2022 this podcast is brought to you by coinbase do you identify as crypto curious if you've thought about entering the world of cryptocurrency but felt a little overwhelmed coinbase makes learning to buy and sell simple cryptocurrency might feel like a secret exclusive club but coinbase believes that everyone everywhere should be able to get in the door whether you've been trading for years or just getting started coinbase can help coinbase offers a trusted and easy to use platform to buy sell and spend cryptocurrency they support the most popular digital currencies on the market and make them accessible to everyone they offer portfolio management and protection, learning resources, and a mobile app so you can trade securely and monitor your crypto all in one place. Millions of people in over 100 countries trust Coinbase with their digital assets. Whether you're looking to diversify, just getting started, or searching for a better way to access crypto markets, start today with Coinbase. And for a limited time, new users can get $10 in free Bitcoin when you sign up today at Coinbase.com B-O-M-M. Sign up at Coinbase.com B-O-M-M. For $10 in free Bitcoin, this offers for a limited time only, so be sure to sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash B-O-M-M. So then we get Norman Magic, which is one of my favorite pairings. (laughs) Unbelievable scene. (laughs) One of my favorite pairings in this show. Uh, Norm tells Magic that his lapels look like pelican wings. (laughs) It's repugnant. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, this is great. Magic just so earnest, thinking he's looking good, and Norm is disgusted. And they, he didn't know that uh, Ray Charles cut hair either. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so Norm drops his uh, his nickname, Savoir Faire, mm. and they and they go to Norm's uh, clothing store where he's getting getting Magic suited and booted. For oh my god! For I his love <laughs> I love this guy Clarence that comes out just the yeah. The cocked head and the look on his face as he's just taking in this six foot eight Midwestern drink of water. It's like, what is going on here? He's it's a perfect balance of disgust and intrigue. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I see some potential here, but this is rough. What you're bringing me to work with? At Norm's Flying Fox, by the way, is the name of the store. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love Flying that. Fox. Yeah, and so out of all the outfits that 
magic can choose, he decides to wear a powder blue prom suit. <laughs> <laughs> but before but before that, you know, the the scenes are really about the dynamic of the rookie being taken under the wing of the veteran and Norm really trying to put magic on game. You know, he doesn't he doesn't have any ill will towards magic and he wants magic to kind of wise up to what's going on around him and and be more in the know and not just take everything at face value as he's and- coming into LA. And neither one of them knows that Jerry West is no longer in the picture. Exactly. News travels a bit slower in the late 70s. <laughs> yeah. Shams would have blasted out that Jerry West retired within five minutes of that argument in the office. But here they both still think that Jerry's the coach. There's also, you know, we, we got that great scene in episode one with, with Magic and Dr. Bus sharing a burger and getting to know each other and relate and so when magic says oh i got plans with dr bus norm is very skeptical because his relationship with owners in the past has probably been like that sandab dinner not right. very good so he he's, he tries to relate to magic and i love this little quote here when he asks if magic is a ladies man back in ohio <laughs> magic has to correct him michigan yeah. <laughs> Real game comes down to feelings. Get a woman feeling safe, she's yours. Sprinkle a little nice on top of that, you got a freak for life. Now owners play the same. Tell us a whole bunch of shit we want to hear, then fuck us up the ass, no grease. Might as well toss a bunch of money on the dresser. Dirty. <sighs> it's a dirty game, y'all. And speaking of which, back to Chicky, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, this was... <laughs> <laughs> so this was the scene that Seth said this the is uh, <laughs> th- just to take you listeners behind the curtain a little bit this is pretty similar to the conversation i had with jason before we started doing this podcast you know like problems your voice jason <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah and the particular problem with with the voice was uh described in an adjective that we don't use anymore you're not gonna uh, say it come yeah. on Chick Hearn dropped an F-bomb. I mean, if you would like to say it, I don't want to get canceled. Um, I have a gay father, so I'll say it. He said he has a faggy voice. <laughs> yeah. A little bit faggy. And the best part was the callback when later on Pat's in the garage working on his tape. He's like, God damn it. Stupid fucking voice. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really stuck uh, with him. And then Chick also says that they put some new gorilla on the door. Yep. Yeah. In yeah. reference to the uh, security guard. So that was interesting. And yeah, it just, I don't know. <laughs> the, the depiction of Chick Hearn is not a pretty one. Again, he's loved by Laker fans. You know, he's near and dear to our hearts. So to see him painted in a, such a homophobic way. No, okay. yeah, I mean, yeah. And just a thoughtless light. I mean, obviously we get it. You know, part of it is this is the way the guys talked back in back then. Nobody thought, you know, twice about using these words as any kind of derogatory anything. This was the colorful language of the day, so it was. It's not meant to, you know, feel like that. It's actually meant to show, like, hey, this is how freely people talked, and it wasn't. Nobody clutched their pearls. Right. So I get it, but you know, in today's lens. It just looks a little weird, particularly the gorilla line for me, knowing, you know, that he calls games that 
are played by very tall and large black men. So, yeah, I just found that really interesting. But then, you know, it just made me think about Chick Hearn, what I loved about him. And uh, then I watched the after show and they actually played the game. That I was, <laughs> <laughs> they played, so it's called Beat the Clock. That, we're we're re- referencing the uh, end of our last episode. The after show that they have with Rick Fox is uh, it's uniquely bad. <laughs> I tell you what, I could not hit the escape button fast enough to get away from that after show. As soon as that thing started up, I yeah. get me the hell out of here, man. Yeah, but you know, doing color commentary is a lot like podcasting. It's a lot like what we do. It's based on the you know skill and talent of your voice to be, to be able to come up with catchphrases and say witty things, funny things, engage the audience. And some guys are better at it than others. Chick Hearn, for my dollars, probably one of the best, probably the best in basketball history, I would say. I made a list of, like, great sportscasters. Obviously, John Madden, RIP, is probably the one in football. Right. Um, I will ask you guys, do you have a top five or a top few uh, broadcasters? Yeah. I I really like Hubie Brown. Mm. Yeah, he's dope. Yeah. He's, he's one, one of my Sick. favorites, yeah. for real. Yeah. Like, I feel like I learned so much about the game just by listening to him. I remember when, like, you know, NBA on TNT was, like, kind of just starting up, and we had Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith and EJ and everything, and Hubie used to be on the show, and they used to do the Hubie Awards. Mm-hmm. Did you guys remember that? Like, they used to do, like, awards, kind of like, I guess around all-star break or maybe before the playoff start. I can't remember exactly when, but you know, they really, his, his opinion in sports mattered so much. He's definitely like my top Hubie Brown, Kevin Harlan. Yep. And, uh, I like Nancy Lieberman as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like Doris. I'm a, I'm a big yeah. Doris. Fan. Doris, yeah, Doris is great. Doris is dope. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting cause there is, there is really that separation between play-by-play and color commentary. Yeah. Growing up in San Francisco, the the team, the the commentator team that really, you know, every one of my generation was raised on is Crook and Kipe, the SF okay. Giants baseball guys. And they do it on TV and they do it on the radio. And they've been going for, you know, 20 25 years in terms of just like chemistry and knowing the team and being plugged in like that's the the local radio guys for your baseball team yeah. <laughs> are the ones that really are tapped yeah. in right? yeah they yeah they have so to, like yeah they're they're next level so like for you jay i'm sure vince scully is up vin, there which vin, vin scully yeah is is actually number one vince scully has the best broadcaster voice of any person i've ever heard on radio or television it's like him like Orson Welles and like people like that like I mean obviously Howard Cosell has one of those very particular voices but Vin Scully is like the gold standard bar none like he's number one for me I think and then in terms of like play-by-play guys I love Gus Johnson Gus Johnson's Mm -hmm. got a great voice he really dials it up and you know he does he does NFL he does March Madness he's fantastic but it's it's all about the it's all about the chemistry of the two, and you know, like I think, I think Mike Breen's really good. Yes, shout out to Mike Breen, the Bang yeah. King. The Bang King. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if you want to go by that nickname, but now wait a minute. 
Hold up. But I, my favorite, my favorite satire, uh, satire announcing team, is Cotton McKnight and Pepper Brooks from Dodgeball because you got, <laughs> you got Gary Cole, as Cotton McKnight, who is just your classic smooth voice, play-by-play guy. He's just doing his job and he sounds great. And then you got the wild card. You got Pepper Brooks, Jason Bateman. Just talking out of his butt and saying wild <laughs> shit all the time. That's my favorite type of dynamic. You just get the professional, and then you get kind of the wild card. You put them together. You make yourself a little commentator stew. Yeah, that's the best combo, right? You got to have, like, your silly guy, uh, which I love Bill Walton. I don't know if you guys oh, watched Pac-12 <laughs> games. He is hilarious. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you got to have the, the, the combo. Um I just want to shout out some other ones. Marv Albert, of course. Of course. Uh, Dick Vitale. Yep. Um, Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy. Vernon um, mm. Lundquist. You don't like Van Gundy and, and Jackson? Jeff Van Gundy is just doing his own little neurotic podcast, and then I don't think Mark Jackson's <laughs> very good at all. So, hand down, man down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. With, with all due respect. <laughs> and who else? Oh, Jim Gray. Jim Joe, Gray is dope. Joe Buck and I and I love Bob Costas because he also I was going to say Bob yes yeah because Bob Costas will make fun of himself in movies he'll play himself in movies and and make fun of himself which I love no Bob Costas was was the king of the 90s and then since we've named so many people Al Michaels one of the best to do it one of the best to do it man um and I guess the last one I want to mention is Brent Musburger because he loves gambling (laughs) and and, uh so does Jerry Buss apparently it's true. Uh, yeah. Speaking of gambling, we're off to Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Where we learn about Vic Weiss, Tark's childhood friend slash semi-agent. He's ducking under a curtain of some kind, losing <laughs> his hairpiece to get into this sweaty-ass Vegas gym, which just looked terrible. And Tark is suspicious of the NCAA putting cameras in the vent, so he's covered him up. And he is good. He doesn't want to go to the Lakers. He doesn't care what they're offering him. He likes being at UNLV. But we want to get back to the gambling aspect because that scene is kind of about Vic Weiss being a degenerate gambler. And, you know, he comes in and basically Jerry's like, are you good, bro? Do you need you need some scratch? Because. You seem like you're really in a in a rush to get this deal going. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what, what's right. your ulterior motive? So that well, he also ex- he accused him of them paying him to to even get the conversation going. Right, well. yeah. right, yeah, right. yeah. So yeah, so that's kind of right there on the surface. As soon as we meet Vic, we know he's if he's not in trouble, he's been in some trouble before, and Jerry's right. yeah. weary about that. Then we get. The most awkward scene of the episode is Magic arrives at Dr. Buss's apartment and thinks that his daughter is his little honey bunch and asks some leading questions that even when Jeannie says, yeah, I mostly live with my mom, (laughs) Magic does not pick up on it. He's like, I know how to get down in L.A., y'all, so hey. And and then they just kind of move on from it pretty smoothly after that. Jerry gets a call, yells at Bill Sharman. He's got to go to Vegas to close Tark the Shark. Genie Magic, go have some fun. Go to what restaurant did they say? They said some. The, the, the Derby. Derby. Go have the fun Derby. at the Derby. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they were also talking about eating fondue, which was, seems like a very like seventies, eighties thing. Do people eat fondue like that anymore? Ew. <laughs> I mean, not me, but it's 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 like a Swiss thing. I feel like if you're from Switzerland, maybe you get down on that a little bit more. Okay. Be is disgusted. Cheese. For all of you at home, Be is so disgusted right now. <laughs> the idea yeah. of dipping things into a vat of cheese is just not not hitting the spot for B right now. She prefers some cookout. No fondue with the menu at cookout, huh? Community cheese just sounds wild, son. <laughs> it's not community cheese. It's just for it the is. table. It's not, for yeah. every, it's not everybody shared one giant vat of cheese. Ugh. Oh, come on. All right. Next up, Jack McKinney, played by Terry Letts, Tracy Letts. You guys might recognize as the dad from Lady Bird. He's also a Tony-winning playwright of August Osage County. He's married to Carrie Coon, the star of The Gilded Age. Did you guys watch Deepwater? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. No. Maze, did you watch Deepwater? Oh, no, I haven't watched that yet. Okay, he's in Deepwater. Both of you guys, please watch that. Uh, His character is, is hilarious. Uh, he has a particularly hilarious scene towards the end of the movie. Won't give it away, but yeah, okay. he he plays Jack McKinney, who's the one who institutes the plays that become known as Showtime. As the, uh, Showtime Lakers, which is not the title of this show. But <laughs> Jerry has no idea who this dude is, even though he's played against him for multiple years, and. When he learns that this guy is sniffing around the coaching position and trying to figure out why he doesn't want it anymore, Jerry doesn't like it very much. And he starts flipping out. He's yelling at, at Bill Sharman. What the fucking fuck of a fuck, dude? That guy's a fucking nobody. <laughs> then when he learns that Jerry likes Tarkanian, you gotta be dry fucking humping me, dude. Nothing's good enough for dude. Nothing's good enough for Jerry. It's like, okay, so you're leaving fuck out of here like why are you so concerned yeah what do you guys think it is why do you think he is so bothered i don't know i think they're trying to figure out a way to show how jerry transitioned from his role as coach to right the, the yeah. front office job yeah that's and what i, I think, think that's really, really what it is yeah because in the in the showdown with dr bus he's He's talking about how much he cares about the team, how he considers it his family, but he just doesn't feel like he's the right guy for the job, for the coaching job. But, yeah, he he clearly has very, very specific opinions about the way it should be done. And there's that great moment of foreshadowing where Bill Sharman asks if Jerry wants his job, which he will have by the end of this show. That will be his job. That's what we call foreshadowing. Yeah. And then we go to... The premiere, mm-hmm. the premiere of the fish that saved Pittsburgh, which Doctor J not pictured on screen, not pictured, right? Metal arc, presumably metal arc there, and uh, they're in a limo, Norm and, and Magic, and um, Magic meets Zastro, the pimp. <laughs> oh my Astro. God, Zastro! <laughs> Zastro stole the episode from me. Yeah, guys. he did. He did. And uh, in, in the episode where we got. Tracy Letts is Jack McKinney. We got Pat Riley introduced. We got, you know, along with along with Norm, we also got Jamel Atkins is Jamal Wilkes. Terrence Davis is Adrian Dantley. We got Tark the Shark. We got Chick Hearn. Nope. 
It's Zastro. This is the Zastro show now, and who knew <laughs> until this yeah. episode? I want more Zastro. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we'll be getting some more Zastro, Jay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The way that, that Magic was filling Zastro's party. So, yeah, Zastro pulls up on Magic and offers him the best damn poontang L.A. has to offer. Close your mouth, brother. <laughs> yeah. Take this card. And, yeah, and the uh, the usher at the movie theater tells Magic that's that's not the trouble he wants to get into. And Magic is like, that's exactly why I came out here, son. That's exactly <laughs> what I want. Yeah, exactly. Magic is grows tired of the movie seemingly after about five minutes and goes straight to Zastro's. <laughs> and I love the little bit of, of Norm getting his shot cut out of it and them being yeah. like, the back of your head looks great, Norm. Good <laughs> you job. You Oscar for that. Yeah. Zastro's <laughs> um, praising of, <laughs> of magic because he, <laughs> he bet on the Michigan State Championship. I bet they were celebrating that shit in the jungles of Africa. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, then we get a random Bill Cosby appearance. Right. Which, which was yeah. interesting. And I didn't, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't know what to do with that, honestly. I, Doesn't seem like they really know what to do with it either. Like, he's, <laughs> not, he's not listed in the credits. Yeah, I'm like, he didn't produce the movie. He didn't write it. He's not in it. Like, they what? don't say Bill Cosby. They, they call him Fat, Fat Albert. Albert. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Clearly, they were tiptoeing around it, but that was an interesting moment. Yeah. <laughs> so I do love just how excited Matt. Matt is like, say hi to Bill for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so loving life. Just so exuberant. And then we get the best Astro line <clears throat> when Magic shows up at the party. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you might know magic, nigga, but she about to make your dick disappear. <laughs> now's the line of the episode right there. <laughs> it's the oh, line of the episode man. right there. Shut it oh, down. Oh, man. <laughs> and yeah, the way that whole scene was shot, how he's on the phone, you know, five in the morning with his family, you know, getting ready for church or, you know, they getting ready to go somewhere. And my God, yeah, just the, just the language that was used the entire time. With the, you know, we get all the nudity that, you know, HBO is going to make sure we see some mm. ass and titties. Okay. Yep. Yep. Magic's with three women at once. And there's the line about him getting enough to eat. And then he's just <laughs> eating yeah. pussy. Like yeah. I, 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 wrote, I wrote down the, the lines. Uh, the yes. double entendre. Split <laughs> come on. Come on <laughs> with it, Jason. Come on, Jason. He said, uh, only thing on my mind now is balling. And this is where he's uh, hitting it from the back. And then the mom asked him if he found a church. And he said, yeah, got hands laid on me and everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then uh, his dad is asking about the food. And he said, yeah, I'm eating real good as he's going down on the girl. <laughs> and then uh, the one that was kind of odd was the last one. Because it didn't really fit with what his dad was saying. But they just closed it in there. Uh, he said, we must be getting off right now, son. Instead oh, of like it made sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it made sense, but it was like, what his dad say? We're getting off right now, son, or we're like the phone. Come on, <laughs> they're just having a little fun with the the language yeah. here. No, yeah, no, they were, they were. That was a fun scene. That was that was really fun. But yeah, I don't know, I don't know about y'all, but uh, after a after a good night out at a, at Zastro's Orgy Palace, <laughs> I'm not exactly thinking about dialing up my family back home. And, and checking in 
And they're and them wondering, oh, why are you up so early? It's like, uh, because I'm working hard. <laughs> yeah. You know. That was yeah. just an interesting scene. It's just, you know, showing us that magic, you know, he thinks L.A. is just this magical place. No pun intended. But um, he's getting what he wants, but it's not fulfilling. It's not it's not doing anything for him, really. You know, he misses his family, he misses Cookie. You know, they have their moment on the phone. Or he's chatting mm-hmm. up, you know, her, her dorm mates <laughs> yep. before she Man. can make it to the phone. Man, but that, but that was like the most, I just want to, sorry. That was no. the most like nigga moment in the whole show. Like <laughs> niggas love to, to like go and like have an orgy and then call up the girl back home, like acting like the sweetest gentleman in the world. That was just like the perfect athlete nigga moment. And I was like, that's, that seems realistic. Niggas would definitely do that. <laughs> Act like they haven't done shit. Oh, they will. Oh, boy. Don't I <laughs> Sorry, know. Bethany. I didn't mean to bring up a sore subject. <laughs> oh, I've, I'm very familiar and I have healed and moved on. It's just really interesting to see it from this perspective that we do get a chance to, you know, get a conversation between Magic and Cookie and see that he's still, you know, at least trying to keep in touch and keep her hanging on. You know, he wants her to come out and visit or whatever. You know, she's focused. She's doing her thing in school. And it's like, you're still the magic that I know. I'm sure nothing's changed. It's probably gotten worse out there in crazy-ass California. Yeah, it feels it feels a little bit to me like we're too inside Magic's head through the first three episodes. Mm. I understand that, as we've talked about in the past, really the two pillars of the show are Dr. Buss and Magic Johnson. I get that. But there's a lot, there's a lot of time for magic calling home, magic calling cookie and stuff. And not enough time for our girl, Claire Rothman B. You know what I'm saying? You know, right. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So we got, we got Jerry grinding tape on Jack McKinney. That's when Pat Riley stops by. They joke about Pat coaching. Jerry just laughs in his face, which is amazing. <laughs> ah, what? Coaching? You? And then they bond about, you know, being retired, former athletes sitting on the beach, realizing they're turning into their old man. Then we get a nice little breakdown on how Jerry Buss does his hair. Swooping that comb over, baby. Technology, baby. Yeah, that was... That Aquanet. There's that that joke earlier in the episode when when Jeannie's like, yeah, he's working on his hair, so it could be like 15, 20 minutes. Like, who knows? (laughs) (laughs) And here he is. Then he rolls up to Piero's in Vegas to meet Tark the Shark. He's pulling out the bankroll to give the valet one bill, but the guy takes the whole wad, which is just real, real Vegas sleazy because he bet on the Lakers before. We get in there. Jerry is with his money man, who is very sweaty, <laughs> then throws just the fattest deal at Tark the Shark he could possibly have, $750,000, 10 times what he's making now, two Rolls Royces from Vic's dealership, because he doesn't just sell Cadillacs, all right? And whatever it takes, they're almost there. What happens? Bottle of champagne from the sketchy-looking dudes in the corner. Suddenly, the meeting's over. They ran out of there like someone turned the light on and the roaches just scattered. Yeah, it was like 1.43 a.m. at the club in L.A. It was time to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm a, can I say something real quick? Yeah. 
growing up, I've always thought of Los Angeles as this like nonstop place. Like I thought it was like the West Coast, New York, where, mm. you know, the city doesn't sleep. The first time I went to the club and those lights came on at 1.40, I was like, mm -hmm. wait, they're shutting that, like they're closing right now? Yeah, like even right. in North Carolina where <laughs> I'm from, like we, <laughs> the bar closes at two and we still will stay open until 2.30, 3 o'clock. But what is that? What is that yeah, LA? The, the LA thing is weird because it's kind of like a, the weird party elitism. Um, where it's like, if you really want to party, it's got to be a house party somewhere in the hills. Somebody, you know, with a lot of money that can go late. Because if you're going to the club, it's it's over at 1.40 and it's time to go home. Hopefully you found who you're looking for already. But So you yeah, go to Don other... Sterling's house and <laughs> exactly. at the white That's party what... and, and kick it all night. Right, right. That's where all of the coke gets done. All of the, everybody gets crazy, you know. So that's kind of how L.A. works. It's like if you're rich or if you're in the know, then you get to hang out at the cool parties and hang out all night. Or you get to hang out at Zastro's. <laughs> Sounds like B just, you know, didn't didn't meet the right fur coated pimps. Nope. Exactly. On her first trip to Thank LA. God. Didn't didn't know about didn't know about the after hours spot. The afties. The yeah. afties. But yeah, LA I, I hate that LA closes so early. It really like I mean, I get it because there's also like the violence and everything that comes with the shystiness of of the city that doesn't really operate in like New York and other big places like that because I think it's really because the weather is so good like niggas feel like they just want to be outside with guns and <laughs> talking shit and getting in fights um <clears throat> but yeah so I love my city but that's probably the biggest drawback because when I was in New York for a little bit oh my god the the parties like you're there at 3 30 in the morning and it's like it's midnight it's yep. it's going so yeah, I wish LA would change that, but probably never will. Counterpoint, if you come from New York where you're used to being up all night and you go to LA, you think it's weird. But if you are used to things shutting down at 140 and then they suddenly give you two extra hours, nothing good will come from that. Everyone <laughs> will just not know when to stop and then you'll have people getting too fucked up and doing dumb shit. So that is my counter. Like Las Vegas. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 oh yes. Oh yes. My God. We'll just send all those people to Las Vegas and you be as had firsthand oh, yeah. accounts of people going too far. That's oh, why yeah. everybody in LA, in LA like goes to Vegas and goes crazy. Cause, oh yeah, yeah. Cause we can't do shit here. So it's exactly. like, oh, it's, it's right down the street. Our 21st birthday, I'm in Vegas, and I'm going to drink until somebody drags me in my room. Like, you know? Yeah. Like, people from London going to Amsterdam for the first time. They don't know where the limits are. All right. Pat, he's getting psyched up. He's recording his demo tape off of his own highlights, which I thought was a funny part because he keeps saying, rally with the past and stuff like yeah. that, which was great. He's getting mad about his voice. He starts attacking the Ivy. He's going nuts. He gets up there with a chainsaw. He nicks his ankle. He ends up destroying the whole garage. Then he's just sitting there in the wreckage, cradling his father's burnt bat. His wife comes to find him, and they talk, and he thinks about his dad, and 
his brief stint in the minors and how he just spent the whole rest of his life chasing that. Got to shout out my family friend, Ian Boyd, playing Pat Riley's dad, Leon wow. Riley. Oh, shouts to him. Oh, man, he was fantastic. I really bought that he was just drinking that beer and getting pissed. What an amazing job. Throws it against the wall. Doesn't need a single line to convey all that fatherly (laughs) disappointment. (laughs) And Chris essentially says, you know what? You like to work, Pat? Why don't you work a little harder? Huh? Off the court. (laughs) Right. But she kind of like demeans basketball for like in a little oh yeah in a definitely way. <laughs> she's because he's like i work all the time and she's like yeah on basketball on the like, court yeah but you yeah. don't know how to be a person right yeah. so yeah that was an interesting exchange because it feels like his wife maybe not be down with just him surrounding his life with basketball period there was a time where i felt i really wasn't i i used to, i grew up a huge basketball fan and once I was around it in that capacity where my partner is an NBA player and the day-to-day of him being an athlete, I started to kind of resent it in a way because it's like people forget that these are people. These are human beings with lives outside of sports and they're not allowed to really be themselves. Like I heard someone, you know, talking recently about Russell Westbrook and, you know, he hasn't been having the you know greatest season with the Lakers. It's not pretty. And people are like, well, he's doing too much. Like he has clothing line and he's, you know, X, Y, and Z. It's like, but, but these are things that he's interested in. He's trying to think about life outside of basketball because this is going to end someday. A lot of people, they stop playing ball and they just, they literally go crazy. And my thing with the NBA and with all professional sports, I feel like they don't really make the player's mental health a priority. It's like, get out there and play and we'll figure that shit out later. And some yeah. for some people, there's not a later. Right. And it's such a tough industry to be on top of because you have such a small window. And, you know, it's interesting to me, like we often get upset at athletes for doing anything other than the game. Oh, uh, we would go to the movies <laughs> like, why are you not in the, in the practicing yeah. right now? It's like, it's 840. We're about to go watch a movie. Like, yeah, please. And it's like we kind of all we want every all of our athletes to be like Kobe or Tiger. Right. And it's like <laughs> the, like the average human, you know, even if they're a spectacular athlete is not going to have that mindset. And we we require so much of them to be like almost these chaste in, individuals like they can't have any vices uh, just by nature of them being athlete. And, you know, like and being paid so, millions. It's like, and, how yeah, dare pay- you do something else when you're a millionaire? <laughs> right. And so they end up, and it's funny, you know, kind of the lens that this show looks at that through is like, well, if when you can't do anything that a normal person might do, whether that's smoking weed or hanging out, you know, all hours or doing whatever, hanging out with friends, what does that leave you with? And then we kind of see Magic Johnson as like, this is the only vice that they're kind of allowed to have is to sleep around basically because it's not going to take away from their playing abilities or whatever else they're doing and like this is this is what happens when this is all they're left to do (laughs) you know so i also think that pat riley in particular in this episode and his career is exemplary of the way that basketball was really a blue collar job for Mm -hmm. a lot of people in the 70s and before because you know 
He's not making crazy money. Basketball is not at the level it is now. He really was just a dude who went to work. And that was a mentality that goes beyond sports to, like, you know, your dad at the time who just worked at a factory. And that's what he did all day. And then what is he doing in the rest of his time? Like, thinking about all the shit that didn't work out, you know? And so that that really connected for me in in this little scene. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you guys a question because I think about this pretty frequently now. Um, I saw Dr. J sitting in the stands of the Celtics Sixers game a couple weeks ago, and the thought popped in my head again, like, what do you guys think these older players or people who played in the 70s and 80s think about the hundreds of millions that the players get now versus the normal salaries that they got paid to build this league or these leagues? I compare it to hip hop because, you know, a lot of guys back in the day were not getting money and a lot of, you know, they got stiff into really terrible contracts and they just had to perform for the rest of their lives to just continue to pay, you know, their labels. I, I feel like either you really embrace these guys and you just are proud that the league turned out to be what it is or you're just miserable and you just don't like it. Right. Base. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with, with B there. I think the... The money is just a constant thing, right? Because even players from 10 years ago are probably pissed about the contracts people are getting now. Yeah. But the bigger thing to me is I think like what I was kind of talking about, about treating treating the NBA like a job. You know, there, there was a culture of like you, you, you work, you have your family, you show up every day, and you do that. And then I think probably in the 90s to now, it's kind of gradually expanded where it's like, you're a celebrity you know it's yeah. it's more about being in the public eye and being a celebrity yeah. than it is about having a job to do and i think mm-hmm. that that's where a lot of young players can get lost and i think that's why I like being a veteran and having veteran leadership on your team is important because otherwise you know you got a bunch of like young 20 somethings with millions of dollars who <laughs> can think they can do whatever they want and pretty much can i mean because yeah. you got someone like dr j and then you have someone like Allen Iverson. And then you have like a Joel Embiid. Like even in this timeline of events, so mm-hmm. much has changed. Even from oh, yeah. when Allen Iverson was at his peak to where we are right now. Allen Iverson's like, I love this shit. He embraces all of it. Like he enjoys mm-hmm. what the NBA has turned into. And, you know, he'll say, man, if I was in the NBA today, you know, he feels right. like he would be off the charts as a superstar because of what he sure. was in 2001 <laughs> without social media hey <laughs> jason's nice holding up the card right now <laughs> there it is yeah but b that. ai is the one who essentially completely reinvented the way the game is perceived off the court i mean on the court he had a huge impact but in terms of like style and like swag like there's yeah. pretty much no equal to alan iverson mm-hmm. all right let's wrap up this episode magic calls cookie at michigan state more bullshit Still stringing her along. Jerry West's wife wants to make a baby. He's not too sure about that. He's pretty much looking for it. Go get your diaphragm. Oh, man, what a, whoo, the diaphragm (laughs) days. What a time. Then he goes and tells Bill Sharman that he's crunched the tape, grinded that tape. McKinney is the guy, but Bus walks right by him. He's already locked up Tark with that massive deal. He's thrilled. We get him driving with his daughter. 
She asks about the money situation. He basically makes an elaborate plane analogy about how planes are always falling, but you can't tell people that. you got to manipulate the narrative to give them hope. And then, in a nice little ending to this episode, Tark is on his way out, but he can't get a hold of Vic. And Vic is dead in the trunk of his Rolls Royce at a hotel in Beverly Hills somewhere. So I put it to both of you. What did you think of this episode three little mini side story here with Tark and Vic Weiss and the Mafia, which is all based on the real death of Vic Weiss? Jason? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was a very interesting story. I didn't know anything about it before I watched this episode. Um, so I, I thought it was really dope to find out about. And, you know, obviously, like I went on Google and started, you know, researching it and, you know, just wanted to know the ins and outs of really of the Jer Jerry Tarkanian situation and was he really supposed to come to the Lakers and, you know, that being true and, you know, I guess the Vic Weiss uh, murder, was, you know, remains unsolved and they didn't really, you know, they connected the two and they basically said that Jerry was never able to get over the death. He wanted to come to the Lakers, but he couldn't. And, you know, who knows what other conversations were had after that and, you know, uh, was this a direct hit in reference to a debt that he owed and, you know, all of that stuff um, that, you know, was kind of alluded to in the beginning of the episode. And, you know, I love mob movies. I love Casino. I love all that stuff. So, you know, to see this kind of played out as like a mini kind of Scorsese-esque uh, thing was really cool. I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. It took everything in me not to pull my phone out and Google to see what was going on. I, I'm that type of viewer. I don't like to have the second screen. Right. You know, um, so I just, I was really surprised because I was trying to figure out how were they going to wrap this up to, you know, show us that Tark was not the guy. And here we go. <laughs> he got taken care of and he stayed at UNLV. I really enjoyed the ending, but I'm still a bit confused as far as, because I really thought at the end of episode two that we weren't going to see more of Jerry West. And so it's like, he's he's in this thing. Yeah, he's not yeah. going anywhere. He's, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's here to stay. He's here to stay. He's going to be pretty involved with the Lakers, I think, all the way through. I, I do think that he will recede into the background a bit more. But, yeah, it's there's going to be a lot of players. I mean, that's that's pretty much the thing. Like, we, were, we joke about how deep this call sheet is, but it's for real. You know, it's everybody that shows up is somebody, like, Got to yeah. shout out Gillian Jacobs as Pat Riley's wife, Chris. Everybody remembers her from Community. Spencer Garrett plays Chick Hearn. We got Rory Cochran, almost unrecognizable as Tark the Shark. He's, of yeah, course, he's really good. Yeah. Slater he's Tark. from Dazed and Confused. Mm. Giving us wisdom about Martha Washington preparing a bowl of weed for George every time he comes home and that she was a hip, hip, hip hip lady man we haven't shouted out lola kirk who plays jerry wife's west she is jerry, uh, jerry west's wife jerry, <laughs> jerry wife's west <laughs> uh, her sister is jemima kirk who was jessa on girls and then zastro the scene stealers played by sean mckinney from snowfall and vice principals loaded yeah, I wanted to shout out the uh, the Silvers reference that Magic has in the conversation he has with 
cookies. So the Silvers were a group, uh, much like the Jacksons from the 70s, they're actually from Watts. So that was like a, a really dope reference because they were also in the movie, The Fish to Save Pittsburgh. So um, wow. to have that Easter egg and have it all kind of relate, I thought was great. And I feel like the Silvers are a group that people probably don't know about or don't remember. The fact they're from Watts was dope as well because that's where my mom's from. Shout out to you, Jason. You've just been teaching the folks. <laughs> hey, man. You know, it's a lot of it's a lot of good information in this show, and yeah. I, and I love that. And I'm and I'm a LA historian, and I don't and I realize how much I don't know about my own city. You know, obviously all this stuff that happened before me is could fill up a library. <laughs> yeah. And just like you, B, I'm doing my damnedest to stay off the Googles, not do too many deep dives into Tark the Shark. But you know, it's I try to get through the episode, then I try to do a little bit of research. But then you know, you got to stop yourself from clicking on Jack McKinney and what happened to him, and you got to stop yourself oh, from yeah. looking into Pat. Ry you got you let them tell the story. I'm trying yeah. my hardest to let them tell me the story, and I am excited for our new head coach next week. Who will it be? Can't wait. Maybe we'll get some Laker girls, but that's gonna do it for Showtime, the podcast about the television show Winning Time, based on the book Showtime, Sunday nights on HBO, not Showtime. For Anthony Mays, that's me. For Jason Madison, Bethany Anderson, we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.